Welcome into Chasing Interesting. Craig Hoffman back for another episode. The first in a two-part series called Let's Interview the People We're Going to Vote For. <laughs> so a couple weeks ago on the podcast, I had Courtney Emerson who wrote a book called After You Vote. And Courtney was amazing. Highly, highly recommend going back and listening to that episode if you missed it. We talked about the need for more civics in America and more civics education. We talked about how different people can get involved and it was just a great conversation that was really encouraging about ways that people can make a difference and so Courtney on the heels of that conversation sent me the book and I'm currently reading it and as I was reading part of her section on local politics I was like let me see what my representatives are up to so I googled the name of my state delegate and saw that all the news stories had all the news stories that mentioned him were about the fact that a couple days earlier, a person was going to primary him. Uh, Ken Plum is my delegate. He's 83 years old, has represented the district since, I believe, 1983 consecutively, uh, has been serving in the Virginia State Congress since 1977. And the woman who is challenging him is a 27-year-old systems engineer from Reston, uh, the area where all three of us live, named Mary Barthelston. And... I was like, you know what? Let's take advantage of the fact that we have a podcast. Let's take advantage of the fact that we have a little bit of a platform. And also, this is what I would love to do as a voter is talk to these people. And so I reached out to Mary's campaign manager, Jeff, and Jeff was great. Uh, Messaged me back later that day, said, I would love to set something up. This sounds great. And we did. And so I also emailed Ken and Ken called me back and was like, I would love to do your podcast. And so on next week's episode, delegate Ken Plum, and we'll talk about his experience uh, serving in the Virginia State Congress for 40 something years and what he thinks of the primary challenge and how he would continue to serve if he were reelected. But today, Mary Barthelston, 27 year old systems engineer, from Reston. And uh, I know this is a a little bit of a hyper-focused conversation, but it's also a great reminder of how impactful local politics can be in general. And my hope certainly with this is that someone listens and goes, man, I should check up on what my local representative is doing and figure out if they're representing me in the way that I want. And if not, how can I get involved in a way to change that, Uh, whether it's through running yourself or Uh, finding someone who is and supporting them, whatever it is. Uh, I think this is a great interview because I really wanted to know why is a little bit of background. Like Ken is certainly not, and this is coming from a a very particular point of view as someone who is a progressive and someone who's fairly active and involved and up to date on, on what is going on in a lot of senses. Like Ken's done a good job. So I wanted to ask Mary why she thought she could do a better job. And frankly, if she thinks she can, um, that's something that we should listen to. Um, Just because someone's doing a good job doesn't mean we shouldn't listen to other perspectives. Sometimes politics can be very much that way, um, but that's not how change happens. It's not how new ideas get introduced. And so I wanted to ask the questions. You get to listen to her answers and see how she did. And ultimately, I get to decide between the two of them after I talk to them personally who I'm going to vote for. And that's pretty cool as well. So without further ado, my chat with Mary Barthelston, candidate for the Virginia House of Delegates in District 36, my district in Virginia.
Mary, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, obviously, I'm someone who will be voting uh, in this upcoming primary. So I feel uh, very lucky to be able to talk to you personally and, and ask the questions that I want to as a voter. So I will start off with the, the most simple one, which is, why are you running? Why did you decide that this was the right move for you right now? Well, I would always had an interest in politics. Um, I chose to go more the charity route after um, I graduated from college. Um, and then I bought my house. So I was establishing roots. Um, so I've always been following along with local politics. But the last year, everything that happened, I felt like it's the right time to jump in. Um, I was working as a PPE distributor. So I was, um, you know, speaking to everyone in the community, um, you know, trying to make sure that they had what they needed to be safe. Um, I supplied the um, COVID testing station with masks, doctors, nurses, um, some like emergency services and essential workers. Um, we ended up bringing in like 13,000 items and I think around 10,000 were donated with subsidies from public sales. Um, but, you know, just talking to everyone and hearing like how frustrated they were, the anxiety um, over a wide range of things. It was difficult to hear that and not be in a position to be able to do more. Um, you know, the workforce, a lot of them were um, barred from actually using the PPE that they brought in themselves. Um, by their companies, which put their health at risk. Um, others, they didn't know where to get resources for their businesses. Um, there was a lot of anxiety and confusion during the protests, like not knowing what's going on. So, you know, speaking to everyone, a lot of people felt that communication could have been better. Um, it would have been nice if I had been in a position where I could have actually helped them because it's really hard to hear people struggling and to not be able to do more than I did. Uh, you talked about in your, you know, the release you put out announcing your candidacy that you felt addressing many of these challenges is time sensitive and your background makes you uniquely qualified to address them. Your background is as a systems engineer, something you talk about uh, quite a bit on your website, et cetera. So what is systems engineering and how does it relate to politics in a way that makes you qualified to do this? Systems engineering is basically engineering of high-level problem solving. So computer science, um, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, they, they deal with like um, whatever you're building or working on at the lower level. Systems engineers look at everything all together and they... Um, they integrate it basically. So they're like, they design the best solution for problems. Um, we have to work with a, variety, a wide variety of stakeholders um, in order to um, make sure that we are you know, opti optimizing problem solving. And I think that's really applicable to politics um, because that's essentially what politicians are supposed to do. Um, and especially now with technology, um, you know, becoming very relevant. I saw some policies that failed or almost failed because the General Assembly didn't, um, didn't quite understand what they were passing. Um, with policies becoming more and more data-driven, 
with needing more policies around technology, that's going to be very important to be able to have someone who can communicate policies between legislators as well as um, with the public so that there's not any confusion and we don't have to delay policies or we don't, um, or we make sure that we're passing what we need to. Your opponent has been serving since the late 1970s. Uh, he is thought of as someone who is fairly progressive uh, and has taken fairly progressive positions and also someone who has been in leadership for the Democratic Caucus in Virginia. Um, and in politics, that's valuable to have a, a representative who has access to the very top of the party, especially when that party is in power, as the Democrats are in Richmond right now and hopefully will continue to be. So why did you decide that even with that, that it is it is your time now to challenge Delegate Plum and uh, to potentially say like it's worth it. What I bring is worth losing that leadership position and, and losing the experience that he has of forty plus years of service. Well, I don't necessarily think um, you know we won't be losing all of the experience that the collective community has because there's a lot of people that work on policies. Um, a subject matter expert, and they've been part of the community for a long time as well. So a lot of that knowledge is with them too, and I'll be perfectly happy to work with them. Um, there will be period where, you know, I have to get up to speed on certain things, but I'm a pretty fast learner, um, you know, and that goes with any politician at some point. Um, you know, I... There are certain things that I'm frustrated with as far as like accountability and transparency with the establishment. And I know that some voters are as well. And it's hard to exactly pin, you know, who is doing what because they work together. But I don't think it's such a bad thing to have someone coming from the outside with a new perspective, um, you know, who's willing to work with the people who have been there for a long time um, to bring something new to the table. Uh, certainly. Um, and I'm not, I'm doing this because I think it's a, a valid question that I'm trying to understand, not because I'm trying to be difficult, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, Democrats took control of Richmond two years ago, four years ago, there it became a lot closer. Um, you get the majority the past two years, Virginia has led the South in passing progressive policies. And so we have made more progress in the last couple of years and Virginia, obviously since 2008 has been uh, turning blue in general, and it's gone from a red state to a purple state to now at the presidential level, at the federal level, a solidly blue state to Democratic senators, uh, you know, in Washington, on top of a, a Democratic led uh Congress in Richmond State Congress. So I guess it's just trying to decide like what or pinpoint what are the things that with the progress that we've seen, understanding how power works in politics, that there's only so much you can do if you're not in the majority. What are the things that still you go, hey, that's not enough. I, I need to step in and, and escalate the speed because you also talk about how time sensitive a lot of this is. And I don't disagree with that. So what is it about the urgency of the moment and specific things that you don't think are moving fast enough that the opportunity lost is, is too much if, if you don't put your hat in the ring here? Uh, so there's a few things. Um, the electric car standard almost failed because uh, the General Assembly confused it with a car emission standard. And so um, the conservationist voters had to go in and meet with them again and 
talk to them about it. Um, and they eventually got it passed, but, um, you know, that issue could come up again. So having someone who's there who can explain those things is going to be really important, especially with, um, you know, the controversy that's surrounding California and Texas. A lot of that's being blamed on, um, you know, new energy sources when it's not really the problem. Um, and as far as things being time sensitive, uh, primarily I was talking about education and poverty um, because we've got marijuana legalization coming up um, in 2024. You know, hopefully we can move that down a little bit. Um, but that tax money, I really would make like to make sure it gets to, um, you know, underprivileged students because Virginia does very poorly when it comes to uh, equitable funding of schools compared to other states. Um, and, you know, people that have been around a long time, they're part of that problem because they've never championed that issue to the same extent um, that I want to. Um, and when it comes to poverty, there are certain policies that um, I would like to focus on in order to create more opportunity for low-income people to get into the workforce. Um, and with the pandemic, that's particularly important right now because a lot of people lost their livelihoods um, and it's going to be hard for them to get back on their feet. So I think that that's something that's a really high priority right now um, because we're coming out of the pandemic. On the education front, um, Fairfax County is one of the wealthiest counties per capita in the country. So um, it's refreshing to hear someone coming from one of the wealthier areas saying like, hey, we need to do a better job of being equitable because our schools are, are probably going to be better funded than a lot of them in the state. So how do you approach that as someone who is representing one of the wealthier areas um, to be able to go to your constituents and make the case for taking some of that money and putting it into other places in the state that are that are not as well off? Um, well, actually, there is, um, you know, Fairfax County does still have a problem with equitably funding schools. There's, you, there's funding breakdowns that you can look at online, like how much each district spends per capita, um, or per student. And um, Fairfax County, there's still a big discrepancy between the students, um, you know, in the higher earning areas and the lower earning areas. There's some schools that are on 90% free and reduced lunch. Um, and some of those schools, they don't have the same investment in curriculum and extracurriculars. Early childhood education is something that's very important. So even though, you know, Northern Virginia is a wealthy area, like it's a mistake to think that we still don't struggle with these issues. But it's something that um, I think as, because we are a wealthy area and we do have very high performing schools, it's something that we have overlooked because, um, you know, Virginia as a whole does not compare well to other states, but it's still a problem in Fairfax County, too. Yeah, the, the size of Fairfax County obviously is enormous and has room for, um, or there is enough room where you have major inequities up and down. Um, marijuana legalization is one of the things you talked about uh, as well already. Uh, you touched on, and it's one of the bigger points on your website of trying to move up that timeline. Um, I'm curious how you would go about that. And also, are, are you interested in doing a similar thing with the minimum wage? Because especially for our area, um, you know, I know it's about to go up here in, in the next couple of weeks, I think actually, uh, from 
the 725 federal that it is right now up into the $9 range. But that still seems incredibly low for an area where the cost of living is as high as it is in, in Northern Virginia. So um, I'm curious, one, how you plan on approaching the marijuana legalization and, and trying to move up that timeline. And, and two, if you'd be if you are considering the same and how you go about it for the minimum wage as well. Uh, with marijuana, I think the challenge there is ironing out, um, you know, what policies we need to pass to make sure um, that we're handling it proper to, properly, because even though it's being legalized, there is a set of laws that's going into place, uh, just like with alcohol. So I think it's really about ironing out those details um, and determining who's getting licensing and things like that. Um, as far as minimum wage, I'd probably need to speak with the General Assembly members more about that because the way that Virginia's economies are are like not the same. So we've got some very rural areas, don't have a lot of businesses, um, fairly low income, low cost of living. And then in Northern Virginia, it's, you know, the opposite. There's a lot of people, high income. Um, so I'd probably want to look into why they've delayed that. Um, I had heard, heard like initially, you know, they were going to do the, um, you know, gradual increase for companies above 25 people. Um, but I'll probably want to work with them and see if that's the right metric we want to be using to determine how much companies should be paying for wage. Uh, we, we definitely want to make sure that, um, you know, low-income people are not, um, you know, having their hours cut, things like that, or rural areas are not having to close their businesses because then that's not really, um, you know, improving people's livelihoods. And that's not the goal anyways. Um, there have been some challenges with the Virginia Employment Commission. Um I, I think I want to say it's around 5,000, but someone should probably fact check me on that. Um, they still owe some paychecks to people. Um, they retroactively reduced people's pay to $0 and said that they're not enforcing the minimum wage for people that have already done work for companies. And um, that was brought to my attention by some of my constituents in Reston. Um, and they said that Delegate Plum did not address the concerns with that. You know, it's hard to tell exactly what is going on because they're not going to be publishing that. Um, but these are all questions that we need to be asking. Um, you know, minimum wage is a part of addressing poverty, but there's many other aspects as well. Because, um, you know, people need to be able to get jobs. Um, people need to have educational opportunities. So we need to be really looking at poverty from a holistic level. Um, removing poverty traps in our criminal justice system, I think, will not be another important thing as well. Um, so I wouldn't focus on just one thing when it comes to poverty. We, need, we really need to look at all of them. So I actually wasn't thinking of that through the lens of poverty, um, because while all the things you said are true and worthy and we should, like on a grand scale, any of us that care about our neighbors and our communities should be thinking about poverty and how we get it out. I also like I am not at risk of being in poverty, but I hate the fact that one of my jobs hourly um, pays me seven twenty five an hour uh, for certain work that I do. And like you're coming just, up from a policy perspective. I'm, I'm just up. coming at, yeah, like straight up of like, I think it's 2021 and the value of work um, if for a company, especially considering it's work I do for a corporation. Like, I think it's 
BS that they pay me seven twenty five an hour. So um, it, it goes to me, it goes beyond just like, yes, we want to make sure that all the things you said are true. And I, I think your answer was incredibly detailed and nuanced in a way that I really appreciate of making sure that in a state that has such very economic levels, we are making sure that we're not doing harm downstate um, by just catering to people like me um, up here in Northern Virginia, someone who lives in Reston. But at the same time, looking at like, how do we make sure that a corporation that is operating predominantly in Northern Virginia um, or, or is employing me, for instance, in Reston is going like, yeah, you just get 725 for that work. So as far as specifically for min- minimum wage and trying to move that up, it's hard to give like a very good answer on like how I can push them to bring it up more um, because, you know, they're they seem to herd together a little bit and, you know, they're not giving solid answers on why they're making certain decisions. Um, so I definitely have to speak speak to them and see what exactly is going on because I don't want to advertise too many details. And I think one, they don't want to individually say something um, because, you know, then they're going to be the one that's subject to outrage. So they're just, you know, kind of working a little bit as a machine right now and protecting each other. Um, that actually leads nicely into my next question, which is how do you think about governing um, as someone who's coming in from the outside? Obviously, I'm sure you have ideas of you want to come in and be able to implement so many of the things that you've talked about and written about. Um, but you also have not just within the Democratic caucus, you have a wide variability of positions from moderates to to super progressive people, but you also have a Republican caucus that in certain parts of the state is very Trumpy and just they're, they're chaos agents basically at this point. Um, so how do you think about governing in Richmond in a state that does have that wide variety of factors that we've touched upon in a, in a variety of ways uh, from economics to, um, partisanship to what is good politics in a particular region uh, for a certain constituency. How, how do you approach actually governing if you were to be elected? Well, I think on some issues, building a consensus is very important. Um, I have no problem to work with Republicans on areas that we agree in. Um, and if they don't agree, then I will do my best to bring up the best argument to the table to make sure that we are um, building the best case for why a policy should get passed. Um, I mean, as an engineer, I've pretty much worked my whole career with, you know, a lot of those types, different political beliefs. Um, you know, it's an environment that I'm used to. So I think I can handle that. What strategies have you used to be able to convince people that you, you're confident in that? I think listening is a very big one, um, you know, studying the issue, because if you can really define what the problem is and lay your arguments out um, for why a policy, um, you know, is the best to solve that problem, then it doesn't leave that much room to disagree, um, except where our values are not in alignment. And if your values are not in alignment, then, you know, you're probably not going to get that vote anyways. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, because you, you've got a little bit more detail on this, so I'm guessing it's a, a pretty important issue to you, is some of the the tech security, cybersecurity, anti-doxing um, type of legislation that you are 
looking to to implement if you were to get elected. So where does the passion for those things come from and and how would you approach that type of legislation, introducing it and creating something that could ultimately pass and, and help a lot of people? Well, I think we're a little bit behind on some of our tech laws. Um, you know, Virginia is not as behind as other states. Um, but, you know, we need to be thinking for the future so that we have laws in place before problems arise. Um, how tech intersects with politics, I think, is very important thing to pay attention to. Um, I mean, we saw the possibility possibilities of, um, you know, chaos that technology can create um, when it's used for negative purposes, especially in politics. Uh, we've got things like deep fakes coming out soon. Well, they're already here, but they haven't been used politically, and I don't think they should be. So I'd rather address the problem ahead of time and uh, before the problem arises. Mary, I appreciate the time. Uh, look forward to seeing where your campaign goes from here. I know you have a big night tonight with the, the official campaign launch, so good luck with that. And uh, look forward to hearing more from you down the road. Yes, thank you so much. Have a nice day. Again, thanks to Mary for coming on the show. If you like what you heard and you'd like to support her campaign, you can do so at BarthelsonForVirginia.com. Uh, real quick on the way out, again, we will talk to Ken Plum, who is the current delegate and the incumbent in this race on next week's show. So really excited to talk to him, see his perspective on so many of the same issues that I just talked about with Mary. And so that is on next week's show. But also did want to just say thank you. The episode with Andre Carlisle is one of the most listened to episodes that I've ever had of this podcast, and with good reason. Andre was incredible. It was the kind of conversation that is the reason that I really started this podcast. Um, it was frank. It was honest. It exposed new perspectives, I think, to a lot of people, certainly to me. And that's, I mean, selfishly part of the reason why I do this is to be able to talk to people and learn. And so appreciate Andre. Appreciate everyone who has shared that episode as well. And maybe some of you listening now or subscribe because you found it after that episode. Um, so more more stuff to come of all different varieties in the next month or two here on Chasing Interesting and hopefully well beyond that. So just wanted to say thanks. Uh, for more, follow me on Twitter at Craig Hoffman, on Instagram at Craig underscore Hoffman. And I'll see you next week back here on Chasing Interesting. <laughs>